Welcome back, everybody, to the World As We Know It podcast. Um, It has been a really, really, really long time since I've done an episode, and that's for the very simple reason. The Warzone Civilians Advocacy Group disbanded for a while, or I suppose the better word would be a hiatus. So neither myself nor any of our limited team were working over pretty much the entire summer and into the first kind of the second quarter of 2021 however now in the very first quarter of 2022 we are back and we are ready to discuss some issues it's gonna be great it's gonna be we're gonna have a great time we're gonna start doing more and more episodes posting more on the instagram and hopefully at some point we'll rally enough support for a petition to the House of Commons, and really we're just going to try to do our best to build back the the momentum that we had gained in our last, when we were still going, before the hiatus. Um, so a lot of what's been going on in the world in recent months has been very potent to the future of our world. Things like the Kazakhstan uprisings, the buildup on the border of Ukraine and the pullout of Afghanistan, which was a while ago, but we're still seeing the effects of that now. Um, we have, no, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to think. There's some news out of Mali right now. Mali's having its borders on its neighbor's side shut by a group of 15 states, I believe who are saying that they don't like that Mali has not done their election fast enough and that this is a government, or sorry, a military coup. We're going to talk about that a little bit in another episode because I'm very curious. For me, Africa and the Middle East and some parts of Asia have been my focus because that's where a lot of conflict happens in the world, unfortunately. So, yeah. That's going to be something we're going to talk about today. We're really just going to talk about Ukraine. And I'm going to address that in this episode now so that we don't have to... Well, obviously we're going to think about it, but so that we get that out of the way right away because I know it's a big topic. So when we talk about the Ukraine and we talk about the buildup on the border, many people like to argue whether this is a bluff by Russia or whether they actually plan on invading Ukraine. And I myself still ask that question, even when I'm just thinking about it on my own. Now, there is one, there are a lot of different things we need to think about that are very important to this issue. And a lot of that is that Russia has previously done this to the Ukraine. And we know that they are the country that annexed Crimea. They are the country that moved into the Black Sea. They moved up into kind of, really they, they, they circled. They have been engulfing the Ukraine. And we all know that Putin really wants the Ukraine for its strategic purposes and for its, you know, um, for its kind of morale. It has a kind of morale surrounding Putin. He, when they lost the Ukraine 
after the USSR fell and Ukraine became an independent state away from the Warsaw Pact and the Eastern Blocs, the Eastern Caucasus. It really... It's embarrassed Putin, who at the time was a KGB, KGB agent. And when he became in power, he really wanted to kind of gain back that humiliation that they had from that. So that's a theory that maybe he's trying to intimidate them. He's trying to prove that Russia did not lose, that they still have political control. Because that's really what it's about. It's about political control. Putin doesn't even really care if it's a militaristic control over Ukraine. In fact, I am willing to bet that Putin does not want to have to invade Ukraine. It would be detrimental for the for Russia as well. So what we really need to think about is why would... What does Putin want out of this? What does he have to do? Why would he do that? So what Putin really wants is political control over Ukraine. Now, he has tried to do that through several means. He's tried to do it through intimidation, through oligarchs, through that kind of thing. He's tried to push with the rebels that already believe that the Ukraine should go back to their Russian roots and become allies with Russia once more. Those people that think that Russia, or sorry, Ukraine should not be a part of NATO. Putin obviously thinks that. He said that NATO would be detrimental for Ukraine. And I really think that this is a mistake on Putin's side for claiming that NATO is dangerous. He's really showing his hand of what he wants, although it is fair to say that, well, it doesn't matter because other governments can pretty much see that this is what Putin wants. As for the Ukraine not to be a part of NATO. And the thing is, is that Putin definitely, I would say, is scared of NATO. When he sees this, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, this massive militaristic organization of countries, I mean, if I was leading the Russian Federation, I'd be pretty scared because that's an intimidating force. And even for a country like Russia, who has allies like China and is obviously very powerful, I would probably be intimidated by a alliance between the the UK, the United States, France, all the Germany, all these countries that are very militaristically powerful and very economically powerful. Right, and so I think it's in the best interest of both countries to resolve this diplomatically. Although whenever countries try to resolve things diplomatically with Putin, it quite often does not work. And you know what? Sometimes it does work, and sometimes all these countries come together, and they talk about it, and then they work it out. But a lot of the time, I find that the outcomes of these talks are meaningless. They just appease Putin. He says he's going to do something. He comes back for more. And it's the same with the United States. I mean, they say they're going to do one thing. They do the other. Lots of governments do it around the world. So, in my personal opinion, I don't necessarily think that we're going to see a war between Ukraine and Russia. I think that maybe scrimmages will, will break out in between these two forces. But I think that once that happens, both sides will see, hey, this is real, 
and they'll start coming to the table easier because really nobody wants a war. Even the Russians who want to intimidate and want to have control over Ukraine, they probably won't want war. It's bad for their economy. It's bad for the morale in their country. And it's bad for Putin's political prospects in Russia. Even if he does, as we know, corrupt the the election, it's still bad for him to have that on his record. Just like it would be bad for the West to get involved and to start taking heavy casualties. We know that the United States does not like to take casualties, and when they do, they like to leave and not deal with that anymore. Which is fair to an extent, I mean, when... You're losing your people in a war. You probably don't want to keep fighting that war. But I definitely think that in the modern world, there is a sense to flee before political and physical damages are done to a country and its leaders. So what do we conclude from this? Well, we can conclude that the Ukraine probably won't be invaded. Now, of course, we are talking about a country that invaded and annexed Crimea. However, the Ukraine is supported by NATO. Even if it's not a member of NATO, it's still supported by NATO. And I think a very big turning point for the Ukraine is going to be whether the member states of NATO actually decide, hey, are we going to bring the Ukraine into our alliance? Or are we going to leave the Ukraine out for fear of backlash from Russia? And I really think that they should take Ukraine into the alliance. I think this would show Putin and it would show Russia that the West is not scared of a military of their military. Even if the West is, and I would say that I'm scared of Russia's really t military too. What we really need to show Russia is that they can't just flash a few tanks, they can't flash a bunch of soldiers and a bunch of artillery and all of these weapons and then get what they want. Because if we do, we're going to start a chain of appeasement that we really can't afford in the modern world. We can't afford that in the Middle East. Or, well, we can't afford that between Western countries because if we let Western countries and Eastern countries, and what I really mean is these big countries, if we let them show their teeth and realize that they can use that for power and to get what they want, we're going to see a lot more of these small little pushes happening around the world. Excuse me. Like, if Russia is allowed to start taking land in Ukraine, we might see China ramp up its attack on Taiwan because they realized, hey, if we just push this little bit, maybe they won't do something, right? So we're starting this chain of appeasement, much like the British did back in World before World War II, appeasing the Germans. Now, of course, it's not on this scale because right now there isn't a full-on invasion, but we should be wary of the Ukraine being invaded. Because it is a possibility, as much as we wish it isn't, and we talk about how, oh, this and this and this means that it isn't, it is still a possibility, and we still need to think about it.
So yeah, my personal opinion on Ukraine, I don't necessarily think that they will get invaded. I definitely think it's on an on the table thing. I think it's something that could happen, but I think the road to that is a very windy road and it's hard to predict all the things that might happen. Now, let's go to one of my favorite regions of the world, Africa, and more specifically, Western Africa. So first, I feel like we're going to have to cover this, even though many people have already covered it, is the Tigray, the Tigray region, Ethiopia. Now, excuse me, President Biden has raised concerns over the airstrike conducted by President Abiy. He has been in a call with the president and he has said that he is worried about these airstrikes. I find that funny, seeing as the president himself has conducted several airstrikes that have harmed civilians. But we can forget about that for now, I suppose. Now, the conflict in Ethiopia has been going on for a very long time now. It has been something that the United Nations has talked about a lot. United Nations has spoken about its danger to civilians and therefore we are interested in it because obviously our entire group's focus is protecting civilians in conflict zones and advocating for their needs. Now, these conflict zones definitely have some potency for the civilians, obviously. They live in a place where fighting is common Bombs are common, guns are common, and I think we really need to think about how when a country conducts airstrikes, often it doesn't just eliminate the target that it's aimed for, it has collateral, and that comes with any military operation. So we can't just say all the operations that harm civilians should be, should never have happened. I think that the harm that comes to civilians should never have happened. But that doesn't mean that all these operations shouldn't happen. Unfortunately, collateral damage and civilian deaths is something that happens in war. It would be very hard to stop this. We, war and international organizations work very hard to stop these deaths and to make the world a safer place for civilians. And that can be hard, so we really need to just keep in mind that it is hard to protect civilians when two sides of a conflict really just don't want to come to the table and discuss it. Right, and sometimes coming to the table and discussing it is not an option because either, because one side is just completely null with the idea, well, both sides are. We still work to get people to the table. We still work for that, but sometimes that's not an option. So keep that in mind. Like I said before, West African nations have severed links with Mali over the election delay and what they are saying is a military coup. Now, Western Africa and the Sahara, the Sahel region have been very prone to militaristic fighting, right? There's a lot of terrorism in this region. There's a lot of corruption, as there is in a lot of Middle Eastern and Western African countries, and just African, a lot of African countries. This is an unfortunate thing, 
And elections have always been an iffy thing because in Western Africa, there are still dictators. There are still military coups like we see in Mali. There are still terrorists that run countries. And of course, there are a lot of faction groups in there. They run different little communities in the Sahel region. And this makes it really hard for us to fight it. So wherever we see this dictatorship and this anti-democracy, this kind of anti-freedom and tyrannical military uprisings, and even just any uprising really that prevents people from being free and being able to choose who leads them, we need to kind. We need to make an example of it. So, Mali with their military coup, we need to show that this can't happen. We need to boycott this. And of course, these Western African nations are doing this. And I think that's very important. I think it's very important that we show as an example to the world that just because smaller groups of terrorists can get away with it because they're largely unseen and they're hard to track as one big group, it doesn't mean that bigger countries can do it and get away with it. So Mali being punished for this military coup with the severing of links along their borders with several countries is good for proving this. And of course in Mali they have s several sanctions have hit them. Isolation is really just gonna, it's gonna mess with Mali's economic system. They're canceling flights all that stuff that nations do when it comes time to I'm doing quotation marks here boycott another country in Sudan several protests have been uprising I have not been up to date with the Sudanese protests so I won't talk about those now because I don't want to give you false information obviously so yeah, I will read up on that in the coming days, and then I'll give you some information on that. And of course, as usual, do your own research. Don't take my word for it. Definitely go onto your computers, go onto, I really like routers, but where you get your news from, make sure that your news is sourced properly. That's a really big thing. We don't want misinformation. Nobody wants misinformation. So let's make sure that what we're reading is right, and what we're reading is you know, fair from all perspectives. Yeah, that's just what we should be doing. It's a civil duty as people of this earth to try and get good press and good information. Now, I don't think I've done this, but I'd like to take a minute to recognize where this group started and how we started. So along, this was last year, actually probably around this time last year, I read a book called Free the Children by Craig Kielberger and Kevin Major. And this was about a guy named Craig Kielberger. Many of you may know him. He started the Wee Charity. Got into a bit of trouble in the past couple years. And this book was just about his travels in India, in Pakistan, in... Let me pull up the map here. I think several countries in Asia, yeah. So India, he went to 
Thailand, Bangladesh, he went to Nepal and Kathmandu, and Pakistan, went to all these places, and really he went there to learn about child labor. He started a organization called Free the Children, which I believe later turned into the We Charity, and he just fought child labor, and he did really well at it. He got the attention of the government, of many press organizations, and yeah, he fought child labor, I think, very well. Now, of course, child labor is still a big thing in the world, and we need to fight that. So that that's definitely going to be a part of this group's mission moving forward. It's going to be something that we're going to talk about more than we used to. Hopefully, hopefully we can all learn something from Craig Kielberger's adventures and <laughs> journeys in these places that still have a lot of child labor. And I remember I found some really horrifying anecdotes from th these countries of children working in just horrific conditions and being stripped from their families in this these horrific ways. And we just really need to think about this kind of thing. This is something quite often overlooked in the world. We don't think about this as much because, well, since COVID-19, we've had a lot of other things to think about. We've had economies to think about. And I think, of course, it's fair that people need to think about other things too, but that's why this group is here. And this is why several other international organizations and national organizations and study groups exist is to think about these so that other people don't have to right so yeah just thought i'd recognize this book it's a great book it's called free the children if you read this one i think you'll be as inspired as i was by it i'll finish off with some final news out of myanmar as you may know last year they had a coup a military coup which overthrew the democratically elected my the democratically elected leader su kai and she now faces six years in jail after a new sentence. So that's definitely going to be something to watch in the coming days as the international community responds to this. But yeah, that's the news that we have for today. Definitely go to routers and uh, the Wall Street Journal, that kind of thing. I find these are the best sources. They're pretty unbiased. Thank you very much. Have a great day.